0: Thank you. Welcome to Cursed Objects, a podcast about cultural history, politics, and TAT. With me, Dan Hancocks, a journalist and writer of books occasionally about music and Spanish communist u- utopias.
1: And me, Dr. Kashity, a historian and person of interest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to whom?
1: To everyone. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. Not, not the police. Good, good. Good to hear it. <laughs> well, you never staying know. staying out of trouble, this series. <laughs> um,
1: and as you know, every week uh, one of us brings in an object that perfectly unsettles our sense of the world and together we try to work out why. Kind of like a cursed show and tell.
0: That's right. It's always led by the object and then we broaden out to talk about history, maybe a little bit of sociology and culture studies thrown in.
1: We're feeling spicy.
0: Yeah, uh, but jokes also, don't worry about that. <laughs> this isn't a lecture, mate. Um, it's my turn this week and I've brought in a very cursed item. It's a red t-shirt with a McDonald's logo in the top right hand corner and underneath it says crew and cactus jack. I mean, it looks like a McDonald's crew T-shirt. It looks like a T-shirt that an employee of McDonald's would wear. It's it's a uniform, right, for, mm-hmm. for someone who works at McDonald's. Except this T-shirt costs at least 32 quid. It was never actually on sale originally. And the reason it says Cactus Jack underneath the word crew is because that is the clothing line, clothing brand, of the rapper Travis Scott, the American rapper Travis Scott. This isn't... So this is already a slightly confusing item, right? This is a red t-shirt, red McDonald's t-shirt with the yellow golden arches on it, but it's a collab. Because this week we're going to be talking about brand collabs. And if you don't know what that is, it's when it's sometimes when two global corporations decide to hook up and produce a product together. Mm-hmm. You, Two corporations that work in very different industries, normally.
1: Yeah, like KFC and uh, Walkers. There was a really, really weird advert with Gary really? <laughs> Yeah.
0: You can get—I didn't know you could get what's So KFC flavored crisps. I think that. Maybe. I think that was the yeah. So that's a really good example of like two brands uh, working together. Working together. I mean, this is what we're going to get into. This is exactly mm. the sort of nonsense I want to unpick. Um, But
1: we now live in a world where brands, where people are themselves brands. So Travis Scott is a rapper, not a particularly good one, but an okay one.
0: But Mm. someone who is sort of king of the brand collabs of a different kind, where you have a musician or sometimes a visual artist, um, sometimes an actor or just random other celebrity, you know, an Instagram influencer or model who has collaborated with a i mean it's basically it's a brand endorsement Mm. but for the 21st century or certainly the 2020s this is a fairly recent development i would argue that brands or rather global corporations have pulled in individual artists from the creative creative world from the creative industries to to do one of these so-called collabs this travis scott t-shirt which is today's cursed object was never actually given an official release for sale. So it wasn't, like, available from the McDonald's website. It wasn't available from the Travis Scott website, as far as I know. Um, It was given out to McDonald's, actual McDonald's employees to wear during the time that there was this promotion going on between Travis Scott and McDonald's. The place that I found it for sale for 30 quid plus uh, is stock x which is like a resale site of like exclusive merchandise trainers and stuff like that and actually if you look through if you look on stock X for McDonald's and Travis Scott there's a whole range of merchandise like some of these t-shirts there's like a hoodie which is 130 quid there's Travis Scott X Mcdonald's slippers for 42 pounds for that like, why anybody would want to wear a pair of slippers that was simultaneously advertising this, you know, fairly heinous global fast food chain and quite a shit wrapper, I have no idea. <laughs> but but the options are there. There's literally about 20 different types of t-shirts. There's a flag. There's a Travis Scott McDonald's keychain. There's shorts, which are about, there's yeah, £66 as well. There's various hats. There's basketball shorts. There's pretty much everything you could imagine. There's like a good like 80 or so items that are available.
1: So can I just ask, is the kind of distinction here that obviously celebrities have always done adverts? Like Bob Hope did like cigarette adverts. And there's always been a kind of crossover from celebrity and brands and corporations but what's happening here is a slightly different way of marketing and Mm -hmm. branding where something is created like a cultural product is created like shorts or clothing or whatever and that is framed as a collaborative endeavor that takes the kind of it's kind of implied in this that the artist is like using their creative skill to create something whereas more cynically actually They're probably not doing any of this
0: sort. More cynically, it's just an ad campaign, you know, like, so no, that's a really important distinction. Thank you for bringing that up. Because, because as you say, yes, like, so for as long as we've had advertising, we've had prominent people and it, you know, probably would have been like film stars more often in like the 1940s and 50s. Yeah, often advertising cigarettes. And, you know, there's maybe an interesting through line there of like, how it's actually these quite harmful thing, harmful products that that require a bit of um, a bit of s- sort of support. They're also mundane products. That's something I really want to get across here. Is like a lot of the brand collabs we're going to be discussing today. For me, they kind of come from a, a desperation on the part of corporate capitalism, or rather consumer capitalism, to find new avenues of novelty where there are none Mm. like we all buy food we all buy clothes we need food we need clothes um getting excited about it at this point in human history is clearly becoming ever harder and it's become ever harder for people who work in marketing and advertising to find new ways to say buy this bloody toothpaste so Mm. you know like watch out for the (laughs) travis scott Colgate
1: collab. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. You genuinely wouldn't be surprised at this point. We're going to talk about a lot more examples of these sorts of collabs. I'm going to keep sort of saying collabs in inverted commas because I think I find even the abbreviation upsetting. Even the abbreviation (laughs) is cursed as far as I'm concerned. And there's a very specific reason for that. And yeah, let's go back to what you were saying, Kasia, about that journey from like Bob Hope advertising cigarettes to Travis Scott producing a hundred items of tat that nobody particularly wants in in quote collaboration with McDonald's. Because it is about like the point I want to get across today is about there's this cannibalization of the language of creativity mm-hmm. from the world of corporate consumer capitalism you know and they've borrowed that lang. well they've stolen that language esse- essentially the word collaboration is you know comes from creative work right mm. it's um that that's where that's where that begins shortening it to collab is cursed in my opinion because it's it's sort of drawn from the language of music musical collaborations between artists but particularly rap i think mm. and that's something we're going to come back to later the way that like the way that large corporations, which are going to be overwhelmingly run by and generating profit for, like, wealthy white shareholders, have absorbed the language of, like, what what is traditionally working class black culture. Mm-hmm. You know, a borrowed cool or perhaps even appropriated or stolen cool in order to keep generating profit, you know, upwards Uh, And across to the sort of, you know, millionaire white kind of owners and shareholders, essentially. And I'm even going to argue that the letter X is cursed in this context. So um, So the
1: kind of form of it would be like Travis, Scott... X McDonald's exactly. in this. Okay. It's
0: a little X. It's mm. not a big X.
1: Like a little kiss. Yeah, like Mwah. a little
0: kiss. Exactly. <laughs> like a little more.
1: <laughs> a little kiss
0: between Travis Scott and <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like he's kissed your Happy Meal. Um <laughs> no, I mean to explain for people who are like not uh cuz we you know we we are aware that our listeners are of all ages and backgrounds and maybe don't spend all of their time watching rap videos on YouTube. And so for those of you that don't that X is a way that you would denote a musical collaboration, okay? So um, so you might have, you know, let's pick to the artists we're going to be discussing today. AJ, if AJ Tracy and Travis Scott made a song together and it was a joint collaboration in which they were both equal partners in that collaboration, it would say AJ Tracy X Travis Scott. It's an important distinction, right? It's about hierarchy of like, productive power cultural power etc in the old days you might have had more often like say travis scott is the bigger of those two artists it'd be travis scott featuring aj tracy as a sort of guest okay but it's become ever more common to have that little x in between each of the artists names so there are some like drill rap tunes that will have literally like you know this is digger X abracadabra x like emancho or whatever so you might have like a load of little X's. Anyway, what this is all about is about the so-called creative agencies. And that's, this is another bit of like euphemistic language, as far as I'm concerned, from the world of marketing and advertising. The fact they're denoted as creative agencies, when actually what they're doing is trying to sell products. Even that seems a bit unpleasant, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And that, that, that boring of the language of creativity for something that is just about profit generation, I just I find unseemly, and I don't know maybe we should unpick the fact that you know that discomfort a little bit in the sense that I don't want to you know I think I like a lot of people, particularly my age, like had a moment when we were, when I was fifteen listening to Bill Hicks talking about how any artist that ever did an advert was off the artistic register and I'm sure when I was 15 I was like yeah Bill Hicks yeah you tell them yeah like (laughs) art must be pure um (laughs) you know and all of the like bands I grew up listening to like The Clash and and stuff like played with the ideas of of selling out there's a clash line which I'm not gonna quote because it's quite unpleasant but yeah about um about the inevitability of people that are in the first instance, railing against the system, inevitably going on a journey whereby they ultimately sell out. And this is, I suppose, selling out is an idea that sort of looms over this whole conversation. And I want to make it quite clear that, like, this isn't about, like, haughty judgment sort of on everybody. Like, my take on that Bill Hicks thing now is, like, it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's not just me being sort of lazy or sort of selling out myself or kind of moving to the you know becoming more right-wing as I since I was 14 or whatever it's just <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're such a radical at 14 what happened to you you've changed man you've changed <laughs> thanks very much
0: but you know it's uh I find I just find it a bit tedious if like you are obsessively hard line about stuff like that yeah, agree. and so this isn't about Travis Scott you know being off the artistic register for working with McDonald's and making reportedly 20 million US dollars for this deal. By the way, the creative work that has gone in from either side here involves the T-shirts and the caps Mm. and the hats and everything I was discussing. But it also involves a Travis Scott meal Um, at at McDonald's which in a way might be a bit more interesting because like what's the point of McDonald's it's to go and get something to eat and if there was some I don't know if there was like a recipe he'd created maybe that would be a bit more interesting the Travis Scott meal is just the thing he would always order at McDonald's (laughs) so the Travis (laughs) Scott meal is like I think it's like a quarter pounder with cheese and bacon and and a medium sprite and medium fries oh yeah with barbecue sauce because oh. he always has it his fries with barbecue sauce and it's like you could just buy that yeah. anyway like <laughs> that is a that is a combination of foodstuffs <laughs> that is already available at mcdonald's like if it was you know i mean in a way like a kfc mcdonald's collab would be more interesting if they were suddenly like
1: something different to try at right, least yeah
0: if they were if they somehow tried to create like a a sort of zinger quarter pounder I mean that would probably be horrible you want chicken and beef and the same thing <laughs> would you but like there's something there's you know something which actually you know involved involves sort of a modicum of creativity I mean maybe you could say the t-shirts are that but they're also it's also like who wants to walk around wearing a McDonald's t-shirt that was you know designed for the workers of McDonald's which by the way I mean part of my discomfort here I think is also the fact that You know, McDonald's are responsible for a myriad of sins, which we won't go into in in huge detail here because you probably know what most of them are anyway. And they stretch back decades. Um, But, you know, among other things, most recently, you know, the fact that they are that McDonald's employees are underpaid and badly treated. um, There isn't a consistent average on how much they're paid. But from doing a bit of research, I think it's often it's about £8.80 an hour for a lot of Mm. for a lot of like entry level employees. Uh, which is well below what even the Conservatives are proposing as the new minimum wage. And I should shout out the Fight for 15 campaign here, which in both the US... And the US has had a great deal of success. That's fi- the 15 in question being $15 an hour. Uh, there's a Fight for 15 campaign in the UK, which is fighting for a minimum wage of £15 pounds an hour here, which um, the Labour MP, Andy McDonald, was very recently stormed out of... Uh, the shadow cabinet keir starmer's shadow cabinet he said though some people doubt this as a reason he said because of the abandonment of a commitment to a 15 pound an hour minimum wage this is all relevant because like i worked out like you know some of those travis scott crew items would cost would take like a well more than a day of, like, working at McDonald's to save up enough money to earn. And there's just something really distasteful about that. Like, trying mm-hmm. to, you know, turn, like, the crew uniform of a, a crew, an employee base of workers who are underpaid into, like, a designer item is quite grim. And, yeah, that's not cool for sure. These collabs unsettle me because it just... It sort of speaks to, like, this just... Yawning like chasm of like emptiness and vacancy at the heart of consumer capitalism, basically. Like, just making clothes to wear or food to eat isn't enough anymore. You have to generate PR, you have to generate a social media buzz, you have to generate brand engagement. It's the sort of thing that we touched on during our Hinge Bath Bomb episode, which I implore you to go back and listen to because that Hinge made a bath bomb and that's insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it speaks to the fact that corporations are sort of they're trying to generate engagement they're trying to generate interest they're not really interested in making products anymore and it sort of seems to be it kind of runs alongside this move towards what's called showrooming in um in stores so like the nike town on oxford street in london for example doesn't have a lot of trainers in it certainly on the ground floor it's an event space it's where you know they'll have launches for a new type of tr- like trainer or whatever um, they'll have bands and DJs playing they'll have celebrities coming in we've moved we're moving beyond a stage where they sell the product and instead they just sell the brand <laughs> essentially and part of that is about having these showrooms that you know and it's because sort of people buy their stuff online partly but it seems to almost sort of go alongside that that like what mcdonald's need to do now and what travis scott needs to do now is bi- do bigger better more expensive collaborations you know, brand collabs—that is not the real kind. Uh, rather than actually getting on with making music or burgers, mm. basically.
1: And also, um, my friend Sam Conley went to one of those things. I think maybe in night town, mm. and he was saying to me, "I can't remember who he went to see. It was someone like really exciting." And I was like, "Oh no, way you saw that person!" And then he was like, "Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> it was <laughs> so bad because the artist doesn't really want to be there." Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, I mean,
0: they must feel like yeah. slightly dirty. Sort of being like, I'm gonna do a product launch at Nike Town because they're paying me well. I mean, look, we all do you know, we all do work that we you know. Yeah, for the for the money rather than for the bloody joy of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I
1: think I think something that like really jumps out at me about this idea of collabs is that often in order to kind of generate the most possible PR, you have very kind of different companies that combine to Create something. Mm-hmm. So I want to play a little game oh, yeah. with you. <laughs> okay, great. And it's real or fake brand collabs. Okay,
0: fine. Let's do so this. So we're
1: just gonna kind of. I'm just gonna explain a brand, or I'm just gonna like tell you about a collab. Yeah. And you need to tell me whether you think it's real or fake.
0: Okay, lovely. Kay? Bring it.
1: So, the first one is IKEA, as in a flat pack furniture fame. Um, and Off-White, a fashion <laughs> brand by Virgil Abloh, where T-shirts regularly sell for around £220, often much more.
0: Oh, my God. Did Virgil Abloh do an Ikea range? Yeah, I reckon he did. Yeah, I reckon that's real.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it
0: is real. Amazing. What did he do? What did he
1: create? So he created a number of items.
0: <laughs> Jesus. I mean, this is a perfect example of, a you know a mega brand like Ikea needing an injection of something fresh and cool to their marketing because there's only so long you can keep saying, hey, we've got cheap shelves. And they've got cheap shelves, and we all know they've got cheap shelves. But instead, no, there has to be a narrative. There has to be, you know, they love narrative as well. That is another word that gets kind of co-opted into this language of, uh, this sort of borrowed or stolen language of creativity.
1: Something important here is that uh, this was launched at Ikea's, and this is what they called it, Democratic Design Day. (laughs) What? Which just feels like, um, it just feels uncomfortable in the mouth. And I also think what's really important here, and this is something that we haven't quite spoken about yet, but collabs often have a kind of hype. There's a hype that's generated around them. So in the article that I'm kind of reading from, it makes sure to let you know this is a collection from 2019 and that it will drop on the 1st of November at 10am sharp. So you have to be there at 10am before they all sell out because once they sold out, there are no more.
0: It's the same imperative again of needing to generate buzz around an event right and that's Mm. why you know you mentioned this was said at the press launch of course there's a press launch it's all pr this is marketing masquerading as production which in the same way that when we talked about the hinge bath bomb in series one there weren't really that many of them available to buy like there is always a limited supply that's partly about driving up the value and scarcity and making sure that they end up on these resale websites where they you know the price rockets and you know, people share that then and go, oh my God, look at, you know, look how much it costs now to get this exclusive item. Happened when, um, like with Skepta's, like, NeuCare collab, uh, where he Skepta, the Grime MC, designed, and you always wonder how much work, you know, has actually got in, you know, how long did Travis Scott spend behind, like, uh, computer trying to actually design those t-shirts or did someone just do it for him and he said yeah that's fine <laughs> you know uh, but yeah like with the skeptics sort of Nike trainers like the price sores, that's sort of part of the point it's all about generating more PR but it is very much PR masquerading as production, productive activity because we're moving into a world beyond productive activity, almost, in which the product is the brand, not the physical object. They're trying to make objects obsolete, Kasia, and they are trying to make this podcast obsolete. That's what's going on.
1: That's why we're talking about <laughs> it in such emotive terms. Yeah, exactly. We,
0: we feel personally slighted. And yet, paradoxically, we are talking about a cursed object today that was produced, not for sale, though, originally, not for sale at all, but... but in order to be shared online, you know, to generate that buzz, to generate that hype about, you know, and it's going to be, as you say, around a launch of a particular date, the new campaign drops, there'll be a video, there'll be like, you know, Insta stories, there'll be hashtags. God, there's always hashtags. So that's one out of one for me now. Yeah. Yep. Hit me with the next possibly okay. fake collab.
1: Okay. So we've got a collab with Lego, and the carceral system, Core Civic, formerly the Corrections Corporation of America, the CAA, <laughs> a company that owns and manages private prisons and detention centers and operates others on a concession basis. And Lego. Yeah. <laughs> Which is obviously really relevant when we were discussing Agamben Toys in Series 1. Yes,
0: exactly. It's almost like they've created that collaboration, if it's real, is just for us. Um, I mean, you know, this is sort of cheating in a way, but I'm trying to. You were reading from something, so does that mean that it's real? Because why else would you be reading from something? Um, but it can't be. There's no way that could be real. There's no way that Lego would. What would they build, like a Lego prison or something? Yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> well, they I, have
1: built Lego prisons,
0: but that's like, have they? Who? Lego?
1: I mean, not in not not in the wild, but like because
0: <laughs> <laughs> that actually would be really easy to dismantle, yeah. <laughs> like Shawshank Redemption Part Two. <laughs> To actually Should just take the bricks apart and walk out yeah <laughs> so no i'm gonna go that that is that is obviously made up there's no way on earth that that lego would allow their brand to be sullied by being associated with the you know prison industrial complex
1: excellent yeah uh congratulations oh, again gee, I'm yeah
0: glad, i'm glad i was right jeez
1: What I would say, though, is that in 2014, Lego did end its partnership with Shell following a a Greenpeace campaign. So Shell were paying, it was like a multi, yeah, a multi-million pound deal with Lego uh, that all of their gas stations, petrol Mm. stations would have Shell branding.
0: Wow, and that no was that
1: was ended in so 20, 2014 following oh, like right. widespread campaign yeah, about yeah. how Shell were just destroying the world. Basically. I mean, I think
0: they all, they're always going to push that little bit, you know. They're always going to push the envelope, aren't they? And and so yeah, good 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 on Greenpeace for for like you know. Another successful campaign against against Shell. You know, there there are more in, in process at the moment, basically. I think the science museum currently. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, lots of lots of debate around the sponsorship of like the Natural History Museum. Right. Which is like
0: greenwashing for Shell. And actually that brings up another couple of like neologisms that I think are useful in this episode which is you know one of which is art washing which we'll, we'll get to some art examples like visual art in a mo but also one word I read which was hype washing which is sort of what you'd dis- I think you'd use to describe this PR event driven kind of marketing which calls itself a brand collab you know this is hype washing this is using the sort of cycle of hype and the way that these things get shared on social media and written up as clickbait all the time you know Mm. they will be written up as clickbait i've complained about this particular example before but like when the nike london video advert for nike the you know sportswear brand launched it was reported as news by the bbc it was discussed as a cultural object it was like beyonce had dropped a new album mm. but instead of beyonce dropping a new album it was Nike dropping a new advert mm. and it was re- discussed as such like what are the best bits the worst bits blah, blah blah and it was reported by the bbc among others as like a story and yeah that's that's hype washing essentially that's using the the hype kind of industrial complex. I think someone said to me the other day we had to we need to like tone down the use of su- such and such industrial complex a little bit, which is <laughs> not on the podcast. Just generally. generally, all of us are saying it too much. I'm definitely saying it too much, but it's yeah, got a ring
1: to it though. Yeah,
0: okay, that's my last one. hype if industrial it, <laughs> complex.
1: <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: <laughs> anyway, so two out of two. Come on. Yeah,
1: and the final one, the skateboarding brand Huff, where t-shirts go from between 35 and 50 pounds. Yeah. And the food product spam. <laughs> Sk-
0: skateboarding and spam.
1: S- skateboarding and spam.
0: I mean that's such an absurd sort of joining of the dots. It's so counterintuitive that those two would be associated with each other. And that's exactly the sort of thing that some obnoxious, coked-up wanker in, a, in a, a creative agency would think was bloody hilarious and therefore it's definitely real, I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it is real. Yes, on. You're very good at spotting <laughs> this Daniel. are really I've good. never heard
0: of any of them before, I've got to say as well, so, so that was totally blind. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the time what we're seeing here is about um, when, when you've got a, an actual creative artist associated with becoming associated with a brand in a brand collab you know what, what that implies for one thing is that that uh, that music musical artist or act or whatever it is they are a brand as well and you know it's not a particularly controversial or new observation to say that like we're living in an age where where everyone is expected to have a personal brand and where you know it's it's commonly observed that someone like Travis Scott does more like personal branding sort of collaborations like this McDonald's one then he does make music and that, that's certainly what happened in in uh, 2020 I think
1: yeah in 2020 he had collaborations with PlayStation McDonald's and Byredo which is a kind of new line of alcoholic seltzer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and
1: zero albums <laughs> yeah I was
0: going to say how much music did he put out he didn't put out an album because he was too busy working with those corporate doing all those brand collabs instead Um, I mean, so he, you know, like, I sort of don't want to get into a conversation about exploitation of the artists themselves there, but my, because I think there's so much else to talk about, um, it would certainly seem that Travis Scott is quite on top of things there given the sheer number and, and size of these deals. And if he is raking in 20 million US dollars from McDonald's, um, he's probably doing all right. <laughs> but there are... Like ex- you
1: simply can make more money from advertising than yeah. you can from music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it, this it
1: shows the crisis in music more than anything. This and is he's such like, a good point. He's, like, one of the kind of, you know, uh, someone who's, like, really visible because he's doing a collaboration. Not a collaboration. He's doing an advert yeah. <laughs> for McDonald's. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many people who money... Like, music just does not pay any money. There's a crisis in music, so...
0: yeah. Um,
1: Or Music finance, I would say, the financing of music.
0: And actually, you know, it's for this exact reason that like, you know, musicians have, it's become increasingly hard to be an actual creative artist and survive. Maybe not for Travis Scott, but for people at a level below him in terms of global sort of fame and success. Because of, you know, the revolution in digitalization of, of music and the streaming revolution and so on, it's also been increasing, it's been incredibly hard for the last two years because of the pandemic for musicians to make any money performing live, which was sort of the last the last refuge, in fact. And, you know, I for people who don't know, like it's been about 10 years writing about music and particularly about grime music, a genre that was marginalized from the outset that was treated like crap by the music industry by the by you know everyone from like bbc radio one extra to the record labels that briefly signed some of these artists actually would you know all of these people treated the grime grime scene quite badly didn't give them the artist the space to breathe didn't give them the financial support that they needed to develop and consequently when some of those grime MCs went on to do ad campaigns around 2014 15 16 at the moment that this genre went from being an underground marginalized form to like the heart of the pop mainstream i wasn't going to begrudge those people doing that you know like um that was and, and as i say this isn't about judgment of the artists it's not about striking them off the artistic register for doing an advert or doing a brand collab it's just nonetheless important to talk about the line between creativity and profit It is important and it's important to talk about what it's less about the artists in a way and more about what the corporations are seeking to do in reeling in like basically co-opting a bit of black urban cool a lot of this is about race it's often rap music being brought in to lend some like cool points basically to a brand that has none because they're not supposed to, because they just make bloody, you know, shelves, or whatever it might be, you know, that's, and it must, it bears saying as well, Virgil Abloh is a, you know, one of the coolest black fashion designers in the world. And it, it is so often like a very white kind of corporation making a product that has nothing to do with the world of cool, mm. <laughs> uh, which then like, you know, needs to borrow a bit of that. Co-opt a bit of that yes they 'll get paid a fee, but it 's the cynicism of it I find quite uncomfortable and there 's <laughs> some it 's led to some very odd collaborations along the way so uh, one of those is the grime MC the British grime MC gets uh, advertising clerks I thought was was quite a quite an unlikely one because he was he he is someone who like is on a level of fame and i 'm guessing therefore wealth. Uh, from his music, way below Travis Scott as well, but it's almost like Clarks couldn't afford, they weren't going to pay the money to get Stormzy. (laughs) So with all due respect to Getz, they went for a, like, you know, B-team kind of grime MC. (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of Getz. Getz, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, but there was a weirder example with Getz, which again, like, absolutely don't begrudge him doing this. Here's a brand collab from before they were called brand collabs. It's from about 2011, I think. And it was Get X the Census. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um the 10-yearly uh, kind Stop. of project in which... I'm trying to find a synonym for census. There isn't one. Uh, you know, the 10-yearly project in which the census is conducted by the state in order that it can apportion resources, you know, um, and, in, you know, keep tabs on us and put us in little boxes. No, not really. You know, <laughs> wake the, up, sheeple. Yeah, wake up, sheeple. The uh, the, the census project uh, that happens every 10 years and has done for, for well over a century, is what I think, decided that it needed a bit of... It needed to reach out to, to working class black communities, I think mm-hmm. was actually the agenda behind it. It was all kind of quite well intentioned from everyone concerned because the argument is that if like people from poorer backgrounds which you know ethnic minorities are going to be disproportionately represented in, do not fill in the census, then they're going to get fewer resources Mm -hmm. allocated to those parts. of. So if Newham in London, one of the poorest boroughs in the country, you have a census uptake of like 70% instead of 95%. And we don't know that there are lots of older Bangladeshi people, you know, living there or like younger, like, like black people living in, you know overcrowded homes then you're going to get fewer resources fewer nhs resources stuff like that to help those people in theory in theory so there's like there's a good intention behind it what it led to was a gets song about the census which goes (laughs) there's not enough of us filling in the forms we're invisible uh, or something like that and it's a terrible song oh my god <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah gets gets promoting the census in 2011 maybe that should
1: be our new theme tune <laughs> uh
0: yeah we might have to pay like rights money to like uh or prs money to the census organization <laughs> the office of national statistics or something but yeah that i mean I, I guess that's not quite the same it's not like the census trying to seem cool <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like they had a quite specific agenda but you can also tell that somebody in the creative agency that has been hired by the by the state to do that work is like guys i've had a brilliant yeah. idea <laughs> have you heard of Grime? and i'm sure they got a raise for their like for, and you know got patted on the head by their older white you know sort of colleagues for like doing that cool thing you know the the relationship between corporations and working class black music culture goes back decades. You know, there is the sort of ground zero um, tune my Adidas by run DMC in which, as far as I know, just from memory, I haven't looked this up. So don't quote me on this. As far as I know, they weren't, uh, they weren't paid to do that. That was run DMC talking about how much they loved their Adidas trainers because they love their Adidas trainers. But it's sort of, it's a sort of generative event in which I think the advertising and marketing industry were like, hang on a minute, (laughs) (laughs) like if we get, you know, and it's about, it's like black cool is itself like a commodified product in sort of, in Western capitalism Um, and that is problematic for all sorts of reasons. Uh, It's something that was we also witnessed in the in 2004. Our friends McDonald's, who we've obviously already been talking about today, they actually offered money to any rapper specifically who mentioned who like included the Big Mac burger (laughs) in their rhymes. The uh, the the news the news story that I. Sort of saw about this when I was googling it earlier was Big Mac Pimpin, which is not a great pun, is it really? <laughs> um, but yeah, they they were offering something like five dollars a mention or something um, for McDonald's to be named, in. and that's sort of the that's the natural extension. That's 2004. That's the natural extension of Ron DMc making my Adidas in the late 80s, mm-hmm. and if you jump forward another 17 years or 16 years to 2020, you have the Travis Scott McDonald's ex-McDonald's brand collab and yeah it's a trajectory that begun over 30 years ago but you can see the line that runs through all of it I think
1: and I guess which is of,
0: which is the exploitation of black music culture
1: absolutely and I think that really came to a head in 2017 where Pepsi had a advert with Kendall Jenner, who is one of the Kardashian sisters. Oh, yes, do you remember? Yeah, I remember this. Um, <laughs> and she, in this kind of advert, she's drinking a Pepsi, and then there's some police, and she goes up to the policeman and offers him a Pepsi, <laughs> almost kind of like, oh, you know.
0: Actually, we we have more in common than we realise. Yeah, realized, like a kind know? of, and
1: sub- like maybe even like a subverting of that image. You know, the image where. Um, there's like a little girl, I think, handing over a flower to like mm. a policeman or like, you know, there's been loads of images to that kind of that kind of flavor, which yeah, is yeah. kind of like we're confronting state violence with with peaceful means. Is and it- in this, it's kind of like Pepsi is confronting state violence by giving them Pepsi. Yep. <laughs> and like, I think what's really interesting is it caused quite a kind of controversy at the time. And I think rightly so, because it co-ops the image of Black Lives Matter, of resistance to real Real life, I guess, mm. the murder of Black people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and elsewhere, and it takes that kind of that those real uh, hard fought kind of activist movements and subverts it to just branding. And I think the the key thing here is that it it drew on Black Lives Matter but used a 21 year old white privileged model yeah, <laughs>
0: who you know got the backlash she deserved basically, I think, for it. Part of it is, I think, just sort of a postmodern collision of everything with everything else, you know, which is how you get something like a factory records homeware range at Selfridges, for example, <laughs> like factory records, home of Joy Division. This is something that Simon Hind from uh, someone I know from, from LCC journalism school, sent me, along with the Disney... Disney made a Mickey Mouse T-shirt which uh, was sort of had the the Mickey, you know, iconic Mickey ears and sort of outline somehow represented through the Joy Division Unknown Pleasures album cover, which is obviously a very popular yeah. bit of iconography mm-hmm. itself. And what you could say there is you've just got two bits of iconography that have been, you know, just splodged together. And that's just postmodernism, right? And, you know, my reaction to seeing the Disney... Mickey Mouse' joy division T- shirt was was that's quite funny, yeah, <laughs> like I'm not upset by that, and maybe it's partly that maybe I'm unsettled by some of these things and just more amused by the others because of the context of the particular people in particular mm. people involved, and I feel like the Joy Division One will piss off some quite, like, yeah. authenticrat Joy Division fans, so it's okay.
1: Because <laughs> uh, um, Archie Bashford, who did our artwork, who legend, did Cursed Objects legend. artwork, he also has one of those Joy Division t-shirts, but instead of saying Joy Division, it says One Direction. <laughs> and you only kind of see it, and you're like, all oh, right, yeah. And it always makes, like... It's something that I like, I think it's just so funny for exactly it, the same reason.
0: I think there's there's a range of those t-shirts and they're established as a provocation basically mm. to people who are like,
1: No, stop <laughs> getting
0: Joy Division wrong. That's not what that <laughs> means. You know, it's a wind up. It's absolutely a wind up. And you know, when Supreme, the skatewear brand, collaborate with Kryptonite, the bike lock brand, <laughs> to make a Supreme slash Kryptonite bike lock. There's a playfulness there that, yeah, like it's not that I don't think there's any creativity going into this process. It's more the cynical adoption of the language of creativity and the fact that it tells a story about how bored and boring consumer capitalism has is. You know, like there's just a... It reeks of desperation and it's worth unpacking.
1: So in the researching of this... Episode, I came across an article by the badly punned name <laughs> on High
0: Nobiety. Which is a sort of fashion y blog.
1: Kind of flat fashion blog, yeah. Of the best, worst, and ugliest collabs of 2020. uh, which is
0: amazing can i just say in itself that like that something exists this is is content yeah it's content (laughs) it's not just it's not just generating content and hype washing for the individual launch day when the you know terrible you know whatever it might be AJ Tracy McSpicy Burger which is another one that does exist like you know hey drops. the song
1: slaps it great <laughs> yeah the
0: song AJ Tracy wrote about his burger is very good um, <laughs> uh, but it's also like it's generating content even in the round like you need an ra- end of year roundup of the best and worst yeah which you know you've got Kasia so yeah take it away
1: <laughs> so one that came to our attention also on Twitter shout out Aguila yeah <laughs> thanks for this suggestion but also is on this article is the kfc slash sorry kfc (laughs) crocs collab and uh in this article they write make no mistake crocs has had a huge 2020 (laughs) the brand pumped out collaboration after collaboration with some of the biggest names in the game including bad bunny justin bieber and post malone the brand also had some luck in that most sneakerheads were stuck inside for a large part of the year, and buying habits therefore shifted towards slides, sandals, and clogs. However, this KFC collaboration is no more than a marketing gimmick. And it's hard to (gasps) imagine anyone seriously wearing these. And I think what I really love about that is the idea that that these whole brand collabs aren't marketing gimmicks gimmicks in and of their own right that somehow there are the good good ones that are like genuine cultural interventions yeah
0: pure creative projects
1: and like who (laughs) who decides on the good and the bad other than the people on this blog high decides. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah i can't believe that they've like slammed it as a marketing gimmick yeah Um, and essentially could you just describe (laughs) these so i mean you know what i'm assuming our listeners know what crocs are the um, kind of
1: sandal shoe with like holes in that kind of made out of a fairly heavy duty kind of plastic material Material.
0: Yeah, it's almost, I mean, is it like rubber or something? Yeah, I like kind know. of rubber. I think, I think... And they're kind
1: of branded as like ugly, but comfortable. Yeah. And these KFC Crocs have the I kind mean, of,
0: they're hideous. They, 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 they are, are cool bad. again now yeah. for some reason, yeah. but they are hideous. They're all hideous. but, <laughs> but, but these they, ones
1: particularly... But these ones
0: are all they've the more so...
1: They've kind of got like a close-up of chicken, fried chicken. Yeah. And then there is an actual piece of a wing, like a kind of mock... Yeah, I mean a model know... of a of a hot wing on top that's like 3D. So it's not like printed on, it's like what have they actually... made the
0: fake wing out of?
1: I, I don't mean, presumably know. rubber as
0: well. It basically looks like I mean it looks like the terrible thing that is a croc shoe. I mean, I know some people like them, but I don't understand why. The Terrible thing that is a croc shoe covered with like, yeah, an image of fried chicken skin with that kind of golden hue, and then it's like someone's just balanced a hot wing on the <laughs> toe. Don't. Which I mean, they they are absolutely hideous. But yeah, the, they they also, yeah. Guess what? It is a marketing gimmick. Yeah. So are all of these things.
1: <laughs> the idea that there is the good and the bad. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are some genuinely good interventions. So on this on this article, I kind of it kind of got me thinking about what are the good ones. And one that this article has placed in the category of the ugly, mm. I actually want to make a little bit of a case for. Go on. And this, I wouldn't say, is a brand collab per se, but it's actually an item that a a surprising number of people that we know and actually involved in Cursed Objects. Including the
0: producer of this show, The producer (laughs) and also
1: the person that did the artwork, Archie Bashard. Oh, wait, they both have have
0: (laughs) You need to say what it is, Val.
1: During this year, so essentially they are little trainers, although Archie has the sliders. I don't know which one Nick has. Nick's
0: got the trainers. Nick's got
1: the trainers, Archie's got the sliders. And essentially they're kind of like just trainers which have little branding and little colours. Blue and, and yellow. Blue and yellow. Bright
0: blue and yellow. Um and you know, red. lurid like pretty lurid uh, just like the logo is. Yeah. Um but yeah, the you know, the joke, I suppose, here is that like it's Lidl. It's Lidl. like it's your cheap supermarket. Yeah. It's, not, you, you, it's not a clothing brand.
1: But this is something that this article completely misunderstands. So it says, This year Lidl dropped brackets and subsequently sold out of sneakers that quite clearly riffed off of the design of Nike's Air Hirachi. Putting aside our own personal feelings about the outright vulture-like appropriation of sneaker culture, which I don't believe it is, but anyway,
0: these shoes
1: are just really ugly. Don't get us wrong, there's nothing wrong with buying shoes at a low price or from a discounter like Lidl. But do they have to be yellow, blue and white and look like the actual Southeast Asian fakes? And I think the thing is about that is that they've completely misunderstood why people are buying these little trainers (laughs) and why they sold out. It's not because... I don't think it's not because people are buying cheap sneakers... Cheap trainers from Lidl, it's because it is a joke. It's, a to- it's funny. It's funny. It's a kind of tongue in cheek at the, at the idea of the collab that this article is taking incredibly seriously. Yeah, yeah. And they've written about it in a way that they don't even realize that they're part of the problem. <laughs> and that's the best part for me. And I think I want to make a case that this collab, that's not really a collab, because yeah. essentially Lidl have done what they've always done, which is take a different product and then make a cheap knuckle. Yeah, of that's
0: what they do it's with all of their food stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah.
1: It's not a collab. It's them doing that. Yeah. And I think the joke here is that they that they're that they're taking the piss out of the idea of the collab. So kind of these have a soft spot in my heart.
0: Oh, I like this case. I mean, there's a there was one particular phrase in that in that, that rather haughty dismissal of the little trainer, and therefore of two of our very good friends, um, which really caught me and, and made me laugh, which is the phrase appropriation of sneaker culture. Which is <laughs> come on, Look, I know some people are very into trainers. Or sneakers, uh, including some of, some of my nearest and dearest and listeners to this podcast. Shout out Dave Stelfox. But it's okay to be into trainers. It's okay to be into clothes. We're not. We're not sort of. We don't have a problem with that. But come on, it's not a culture. <laughs> you can't appropriate sneaker culture. Also, like I it's... don't. I mean, this comes back to like some of the mythos around um, a brand like Nike, where you know those and i think again we've discussed this in a previous episode when nike issued a press release to an ad campaign to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the launch of the just Mm. do it campaign Mm. this sort of historicization of their own just it's like you're making things to put on people's feet and okay Mm. they can look nice and people feel good about fashion and fashion is not a bad thing it doesn't you know it doesn't exist in a realm that is so distinct from art and the creative process that they're not obviously they are very much connected but at the same time have some bloody humility (laughs) no like you know have some respect for the actual creative process you know
1: i think i think for me it's not the idea of sneaker culture which you know if you're into sneakers i'm gonna stop saying sneakers if you're into trainers cool you know like i think that that's a worthwhile thing if you if that's your bag no problem but I think the thing is, is that it implies that there is a kind of high-low, <laughs> highbrow and lowbrow yes. sneaker culture, and it says that these aren't even included in the culture at all. They're appropriating. Which is wrong. It. Yeah, they're appropriating sneaker culture, which I think is wrong because they're actually they are the culture. <laughs> they're part of the culture. High yes. high nobility doesn't get to decide what is sneaker culture. Yeah. You know, the people who are into sneaker culture. I need to stop saying sneaker culture <laughs> again. But the people that are into it decide what it is. You know, these <laughs> these are it as well. Yeah. Just just yeah, because yeah. they're not made by Nike or Adidas or whatever doesn't yeah, mean that yeah. they're not.
0: No, it's it's actually. I'm not going to go too far in the other direction and say little are like the punks who are like <laughs> kicking against the like mainstream and seeking God. But like it is funny that they've pissed them <laughs> off <laughs> and that they and that the, the people behind high of ID have just have just not got it at all. <laughs> cool. And I think you know that probably just about does it for today. Um, we've had a lot of fun. We're going to go away and work on our Cursed Objects X marmite brand collab, <laughs> um, which... Uh, we
1: actually, we are the original OG collab. We are... Yeah, uh, well, the Dan de- <laughs>
0: X casher
1: <laughs> You're a journalist, I'm a historian, you yeah. know. And like, as we've seen we're from Travis Scott, we've got personal brands. So yeah. we're, in a way, we're the essential original i'm trying to think yeah fair enough
0: (laughs) how else could this work we could do like a podcast collab like cursed objects x like um pole theory other or something yeah in which no i don't know where to go with that or like what are our other best friend podcasts you know we could do cursed objects x bad gaze in Mm. which we find an object that is also, a bad gay. No, this isn't <laughs> working at all. <laughs> See, creativity is hard. This is a point my flatmate made to me, who's a very creative person with her, you know, uh fingers in many pies, uh, creatively speaking. And, you know, she was like, when I was telling her about this episode we were going to record, she was like, Yeah, do you know what else? Like, creativity creative collaboration is hard like mm. it's not and it should be hard and you know cash and i have found this we hate each other really but we've managed to <laughs> man- we've managed to make it work anyway no i'm just kidding but like it does require push and pull and compromise mm. and there's something about the smoothing over of it by corporate capitalism and the presentation of a collab as this clean rounded sort of you know um, shiny object that is itself like upsetting to a creative person like my mm. artist photographer flatmate um
1: and really that image is only kind of drawn in by contracts isn't it because if you break the if you break the contract then the collab doesn't not only does the collab not work please think of the collab but then also you lose (laughs) out out on money and also you sometimes have to pay back money right yeah so i'm just kind of thinking if we have any lawyers listening whether (laughs) they might help us draw up a little job a contract by which we can work out our own collab how about that yeah good idea
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, if you don't want us to do a sort of Cursed Objects slash Aldi trainer collab or something... Then please do support our Patreon so that we have another source of income, other than the uh, twenty million US dollars I'm sure we would get from Aldi for for such an idea. Uh, our Patreon's only four quid a month. It is going. It will get you extra bonus episodes uh, and other content, including kind of links and other reading to be done around the episodes. And it helps us make Series Three, which you know we're hoping to bring to you a lot sooner than Series Two. We'll see about that. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in the meantime if you can't if you can't afford to support us financially that's absolutely fine please do tell mates about it i feel like word of mouth is actually the best way that you know the most the most frequent way that i hear about a great new podcast so yeah do tell a mate uh, send them a link on whatsapp and hit us up on twitter and facebook as well thanks very much for listening i've been dan Hancocks.
1: and i'm dr kasha t goodbye